Welcome to our podcast, Leadership Theatre Unplugged. We are Alexander Meyer and Diana Bister. And together with our guests, we want to inspire and encourage you to rewrite your piece of leadership play. Listen to vulnerable and bloody honest stories of heart-winning and outstanding leaders. Learn about practical and powerful tools, tricks and hacks. Today our guest is Karen Kemmerling from Denver, Colorado. Her very personal story is about climbing all the way up to the top of a company and still being ignored as the only woman in the room. She will share how she finally gained the respect and you will learn about a pretty simple but very impactful task that explains the dilemma of female leaders very well. Learn from her how she overcame that dilemma, even if it cost her a lot. Karen brings 30 plus years of leadership experience. She successfully ran both large and small companies as president, COO and CIO. In 2011, Karen was nominated by the Denver Business Journal as the CIO of the year in the nonprofit sector. In 2015, she was voted one of the top three business women of the year in Denver. She holds a doctorate in management and organizational development. Today, she works as Agile Leadership Coach and Educator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Leadership Theater Unplugged. Hello, Alex. You are uh, here as well. Hello. And today, we warmly welcome Karen Kemmerling from Denver, Colorado, and I am so happy to, to have you here in our episode. Hi, Karen. Hi, Diane. Hi, Alex. Hello. Hello, Karen. It is so great to have you here. And uh, maybe I can share how we met. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was, uh, I think, one and a half year ago, something like that. Um, and you were the facilitator of the Agile Leadership Program uh, I participated in. And uh, there were yeah, little cohorts of, of four people and, and you were uh, the coach and you supported us and facilitated us on our journey to become more of a catalyst leader. And what uh, was really fascinating uh, for me is the way you led this cohort and how you acted not only as, as a coach, but also as a person. And I really um, appreciated your, your honest way, um, the way you created such a warm atmosphere from the beginning, although we were all strangers in the beginning. And um, yeah, you, you faced us with, with open visor <laughs> directly from the start. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, the topic was about leadership, about uh, developing as, as a um, catalyst leader, whatever that means. Uh, we will talk about that in the next uh, minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I experienced you as such a mature leader and um, yeah, you have so much experience and, and such a great career and I'm really happy to hear more about your story and how you became the great person you are today. Wow, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that is really, uh, is uh, when you said this actually, Diana, I was, I was remembering back to the... Um, 
to I don't know when it was four weeks ago or something or five weeks ago when we had the first get together with with Karen and talked a little bit and that was mm-hmm. exactly what I felt in this moment is Karen is on the other side of of the ocean somewhere in the US and I felt I could see her 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 fully without any mask or any you know this kind of armor or this kind of I, I you know I, I felt like I see her and that after a few minutes and that was really special and then maybe we have time during this this conversation to come back to this a little bit to was it always like this or was there a time when it wasn't like this uh, for you Karen but I just can say I, I fully relate to you what you said Diana when I met her the first time so yeah it is so easy to to connect with you and that makes it so great to to talk to you and to just spend time with you so yeah I'm really looking forward for the next I don't know 40 40 50 minutes we have so Karen are you are you do you like theater do you go to theater yeah uh, prior to COVID it was yeah definitely yeah I, I definitely enjoyed so yeah and I have some some good friends who do um improv and I've gone and watched them so I, I think that's pretty special stuff too um, ah, cool cool yeah. So as the title of our podcast is Leadership Theater, um, I'm wondering, um, I, I don't know whether that relates to you, but uh, if, if you imagine uh, yourself being in a theater, what roles do you have within this theater? And maybe coming back to, to the question Alex just raised, did these roles change over time? Yeah, yeah. I love that that metaphor, and I think it is very parallel to to how I have sort of grown and evolved over the years um, as a person, as a woman, and as a leader. Um, there was a time in my life where I thought the most important thing was to be, you know, the lead actor, actress, um, to have the most mm-hmm. important part, uh, and to showcase my skills and you know, sort of move up and, and hopefully have a lot of people like me, which would be maybe equivalent to a large audience. (laughs) Um, But things have changed. I think uh, as I've matured a little as a a person, I've learned that um, really it it takes the whole cast, it takes the whole group to make it a a wonderful play. And that's really parallel to business too. And I think for me, more importantly now, it's more about enabling and empowering others. And I get a lot more out of that than I do being the lead actor or actress. <laughs> um, so I, I think of myself, I, I've played a lot of sports over my life. I went to college on, on a sports scholarship and I was a semi-pro triathlete and um, I'm not anymore. I'm old now, <laughs> but uh, um But I've learned, right, that it's the power of the team. And ultimately, uh, I look at myself as, you know, the coach and and really the shepherd and more of the person that I would say strives to really walk along beside people um, Mm -hmm. and and be with them and not be above them or below them, but beside them. And so that's what I've been gigantic learning for me over the years. I I started off as a computer programmer in the 80s. So there you go. Now you know how old I am. Um, and, uh, I worked for Hewlett Packard. Um, and most people know Hewlett Packard. And I was super proud of, of HP and, and the HP way. And um, and I, I was there for 15 years. And, and I was a good programmer. Just to date myself, I was a Fortran and a COBOL programmer. Um, 
I still but, know uh, that language. I still know for, that. For those uh, software developers out there, they're like laughing. It still yeah. exists. Yeah, I know. It's funny that you say that because there. I think there was a moment where where COBOL was coming back, and I was like, "Wow, maybe I still have a chance. I could go back and be a programmer thirty years later." <laughs> I'm kidding, but. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I was super proud of my craft, and I guess I, I would say that at that point in my life, I was, you know, the role that I played was the expert, right? So if you think about the theater, I was I was totally like, you know, one of the people in the play that was like, hey, I'm really good at this, so check me out. And uh, the, the thing of it is, is I think that, and I'll talk about corporate America, but I think it's probably global corporations, um, that there's a lot of encouragement to be the expert, mm. right? Mm. And and then as I as I was good at developing, I got promoted into a, a management role and a leadership role. Because that of your was a natural progression. Because of your I'm skill not... as an expert. Or... Yeah, exactly. And so and I think that's common, right? I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think my story is anything fancy or unique. I think it's what happens, right? It's like to move up in an organization, it, you know, if I if I sucked at development, people probably I wouldn't have got tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, you you should lead the developers. Um, so I was good at that. And it, it was kind of a unique thing, too, in the 80s. Like there wasn't a lot of women developers, just to be transparent. Like I was a, mm-hmm. a bit of a black sheep because most of the people that were in the technical roles were men. Um, and so one of the other things I learned early on, which I'll tell you has changed, but I, it's a truth is that I wanted to fit in. Uh, I wanted to be like one of the guys because, um, as a human, I think one of the important things is that we feel accepted and that we feel like we're part of the, the in group. And, um, so I, I did what the guys did. I, I'm not overly assertive. Like I, I have that ability, um, but I tend to be a little more soft and a little more accommodative because I have kind of a, I don't know, a gentle side to me. Um, but I, I learned to be different. Um, and I don't want to pick on men and say that they're all bold and they're all extroverts and they're all overly assertive. But um, that is kind of the norm. And, and males get rewarded for that behavior and females do not. Um, so I struggled with that because I was one of the, the women and I also was told multiple times, you know, hey, you're different than all the other women. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but thank you. That's strange. So if I if I listen to this, Karen, it's like I'm not fitting into the men's role, you know, because that is men are different. And then people tell me you are not the typical woman. So who am I? Then? Yeah. So <laughs> what I learned, like Alex, this is a reflection, right? I, I've had to yes. kind of actually step back and process my yes, my yes. career. Uh, you know, part of the cool thing about you guys talking to me is that it made me spend some time thinking about what exactly happened. You know, and how did this thing progress and, and how did you end up where you are today? And what are the things that, you know, back to the theater, what are the roles and what are the things that you did? And if you think about the theater, right, like these people are like playing a role. They have a mask on uh, in order to make the play come to life. Right. And I did that. I would say that I took on more of the characteristics of the males and, and the people that I hung out with because I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be loved. Right. And I wanted to be part of the in-group. Um, so as a result of that, I got promoted. And I think that the feedback back to your point, Alex, about 
when people would say, you know, you're really a great manager. It surprises me. Like you're not like all the other women. And of course, like, I, I didn't even know what the hell that meant. I was like, what does that mean? But of course I thought it was, it was a compliment as a, as a, <laughs> as an almost 60 year old woman. Now I look back at that and I think, what the hell? Like that sucks. <laughs> I should have stepped in right there and said, what do you mean by that? Like, what's wrong with women? You know, why would you say that? Um, but I think that, in the 80s, the bias was women were, you know, wouldn't lead the way I did, which was like, hey, you're like one of the guys. We feel comfortable with you. And um, so anyway, I digress, but I, I progressed from being a sort of what I call an expert in development and connecting with the males to being a manager of worldwide messaging for Hewlett Packard. Um, at this time, HP had 320,000 employees in 120 countries. We were massive. Mm -hmm. And and we had our own email system called HP Desk. <laughs> and it was like pretty pretty rudimentary to today, but we went through a gigantic transition to something called CC Mail which came out of like Lotus if anybody remembers that. And then it progressed into Outlook. It's like, oh my god, we arrived oh, wow. um, and we started to use uh, Outlook as a piece of software. So, the reason I tell the story is because I got my teeth cut on managing a worldwide team and I had people in the US, people in Japan, people in Singapore, people in Spain, people in Germany and people in the U.S. Um, and I really learned culturally that, uh, forgive me Germans, but uh, that the men that it's were in okay. my group from Germany would never stop talking. And they were always in the <laughs> center and like knew it all. And the, the people that I had in Japan would never speak. And I had to call them after the meetings to say, hey, what did you really think about that? <laughs> um, so, so the learning there for me is I started to become a little more open and inclusive and understanding of different styles and different cultures. And I would say I went from kind of more this expert to more of a, an achiever where it was up to us to figure out how to roll out messaging globally and, and transition messaging systems in different cultures. And I learned through that process that we needed to connect and relate to people based on what was comfortable for them. So that was a huge learning for me because <laughs> being a U.S. person, like I knew the world based on my bias and the Germans thought their way and the Japanese their way and people in Singapore and, and so forth. So so there's some real learning for me in my journey. And, and even back to the theaters, I started to think about holistically about how do we play together on the stage, you know, as opposed to the one lead role. So I was progressing and I was maturing a little bit in my career as and far as what? how do we come together and how do we value sort of your history, your bias and, and become aware that that's what's happening um, because awareness was was starting to happen for me too. I was starting to to pay attention to not just myself, but how are other people showing up and how does that impact our our ability to work together. So I left it's HP what's... 15 years later and I became a CIO at a at a medical device company and I've since been in the C-suite um, and all of up until the last probably three years, um, I was a corporate executive and I ran a financial technology company in downtown Denver. Um, and I left to become a coach, um, and to become a, 
a facilitator and and back to that whole walking beside people like I really wanted to internalize that and and some of the things that happened to me um at at the C-suite as a female, Um, not to harp on the female thing, um, but I I continued to watch and learn and become more aware. Like when I was at this this financial company, I was the president of this financial company and um, that industry in the United States is predominantly male. And there were meetings I would be in with, with different executives from different large banks, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, not to call these people out, but um, Capital One, and uh, they would not even look at me in the meetings because I would be the only woman in the room. And I can tell you that was really hard for me. So right away, I, I rather than speaking up and saying, hey, what's happening here? I didn't have the courage because, again, it's a little bit of a pattern, but it's like I wanted to fit in, hmm. you know, um, but I could feel it in my gut. I, I could feel it. My heart would race and I would feel like, I'm running this company and the CEO was there, but he was the brand in the face, but he didn't run the company. Um, but they went and look at me. And uh, actually <laughs> at that time in my life, my father had just passed away. Um, and I was really struggling with that. He was sort of my hero. And so I was going to a therapist and she, I told her the story and she's like, well, what are you going to do about that? And I said, I don't, I don't even know how to handle it. I don't know what to do. Like, I, I want to fit in. And she's like, well, what is the fitting in thing for you? And it's like, well, it takes courage to be able to say, hey, I'm aware and I'm feeling like no one's paying attention to me. I mean, in the room, um, that would be a really hard conversation. And as the only female, it's like, holy cow, like, I don't want to be perceived as emotional and whiny and needy. And so I had all these like, if you know Brene Brown, like I had the shitty first draft, mm. like like a you know a bullet ricocheting around in my head with this story, and she helped me, and I I did have another opportunity later. It wasn't the same group of people where there was a bit of this gender bias, and I actually stopped the meeting and said authentically, I said I, this isn't probably going to come out right, and forgive me, uh, but like I feel like people are not actually paying attention to my contribution here. And just being able to do that and lean into that awkward, uncomfortable place for all those women out there that are that are struggling with this. Um, I wasn't trying to be bitchy. I wasn't trying to be bossy. I didn't want to cry. I didn't want any of that. I just wanted to be authentic and say, hey, this is not not working for me. And to the credit of the men in the room, every one of them was like, holy cow, we didn't even know we were doing it. So there's a bias that happens without knowing it. And so I guess my message is you got to give people a chance and you've got to share, even if it feels uncomfortable. Um, and things got better. I mean, but I, it was really, really hard for me. And I had a therapist that had actually helped me with that. So credit to her. Um, but this is part of my journey, my leadership journey over time and the different roles that sort of I've played and. And when I finally left uh, being in charge of companies in corporate America, um, the pivot point for me really was um, you teach people how to treat you. And I want to share that message with others. And I want to give back 
And so it was my opportunity to say, I don't need to run one company. I want to work with people like Diana and, and others and, and um, walk along beside them and be part of growing and learning together and take the stories that I've, I've experienced over the last 35 years of my career and share and listen and sort of learn going forward. So what a story. Questions. I'm bursting <laughs> on questions. Yes. Um, Go ahead, Alex. Um, I'm actually don't know, don't know really where to start, but you know, there's there's so many so many elements in here. But I just I, I made a lot of notes. So one one note I I, I made here and circled is um, you said a sentence like um, you teach people how they treat you, and that can come across maybe for listeners a bit unusual because often we think the world is happening to us, so not. We are influencing the world, how the world is treating us. It's the, other, it's the other way that the world is doing things to us we cannot influence. But if I listen to the sentence, it feels like if we can teach people how they treat us, that means there's, we can change how people treat us. So the world is not happening to us, but we can influence it. This is, this is how, I, how I read this. And, and maybe you can expand a little bit on that from your personal experience, how you have changed that or what, what was your experience in coming from, oh, that is what the world is to I can teach and I can change. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. I, I, it, that was an aha moment kind of in my career. And it was a, a guy that is a coach that actually helped me with that. But um, me as the president of this company and all these other roles, I, I was totally an achiever, which was, I felt like I had to be every place, everywhere, all the time and kind of in the middle of everything. And I was super burnt out. But And I was also a little resentful about that. And what I learned is people began to expect that of me. It's like, well, that's just how Karen is. Like she likes to work all the time and, you know, be in the middle. And she's a great employee and we we like her, but um, I guess that's what she wants. And so I... I didn't know how to to be able to say what is happening here and how to ask for help. And so I was teaching people that it was like, I can do it all. You know, I'll work all the time and that's kind of how I am. And um, I think the thing I really learned was I didn't like who I started to become. I became resentful and I really had to dig into why is that happening? And what I learned was I'm teaching people through patterns that this is okay and this is the way I, I work. And so until I could reflect on what I was doing and start to create some boundaries around, uh, I can't be everywhere all the time for everybody. And I don't like being resentful. I want to take care of myself. So having to learn how to say uh, no and going through what I would call this whole FOMO or FOMO, which is this fear of missing out, um, I had to kind of grow up a little bit and say, it's okay to let go. You, you don't have to be in the middle of everything. And as I started to adapt, people started to learn that it's like, oh, Karen's not available after six o'clock or she does certain things on the weekends or she likes to work out in the mornings. And so we start meetings at nine o'clock or whatever. And it was okay. Like it wasn't the end of the world. So that's what I, that was my learning through that. So Karen, if I understood you correctly, you say that this happens unconsciously. So the way you behave teaches other people how to treat you, but you can make it explicit, right? And this is how you can change it. So probably you 
think that the others expect it from you and the others think, okay, that is how she wants to be treated. So this is, uh, sounds like a, a huge misunderstanding we, we're facing all the time. And yeah, I mean, it's like, like the, the story I told you guys about the, the, the boardroom with the men. And, and until I had the courage to say, hey, this is my observation. Sometimes, you know, we always think people are more interested in what, what we're doing than they really are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like people, people are living their own lives. And, you know, the story I'm telling myself is that, oh, my God, like people expect me to do this. and I'm the president and I've got to be everywhere all the time. Every And the truth is, that's not true. That's just not true. And, and they don't nobody's thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about me. <laughs> that's another aha moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So we're all living in our world. Correct. Yeah. And, and until, yeah. until I was aware enough to know that I started to become kind of crabby and, and not very fun to be around. It's like, well, so why is that happening? And the awareness in me was asking for help and stepping back and being authentic about, I can't do all this and having people say, well, we'll help you. We just didn't know if you wanted help. We didn't even know that you were in pain because we don't know you like you know you. So thanks for asking. And here we are. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. So I mean, that is I, I interesting. You you explaining this like you explaining this like you know telling me the morning newspaper, but doing this say you know the first time. Remember the first time you did this. The first time you went to your team or your direct reports, whoever was it, to say, guys, I need your help. What what was that moment? Was it like oh my god, out of your comfort zone massively, or the other guy was mm -hmm. like, oh my god, is she really saying that? Or what was happening in this moment? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Karen, I, are the you this? Was, I, Leave her body. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're right, and and I think Alex, the it was when I got a little, I was burnt out and I was broken, and so I I was at the end of my rope, is what it was, and. The story I was telling myself was I needed to be in the middle of it all. So the typical, so ultimate achiever role, which was, you know, be there for everybody all the time and pick up the pieces. And um, I was exhausted and it wasn't really working. So just out of pure, like I was broken, I was going to have a breakdown if I didn't just stop and say, shit, I can't do this. And for, for everybody to go, wow. It's great that you actually came to that realization because I had a lot of hints along the way. There were people that really cared about me that were like, yeah. I'd get little books, you know, from people about you know how to take care of yourself and loving yourself and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I, so that, of course, so I appreciate all the little the, signals the, the, before. All these little signals happen. Like, hello, here's another signal of life. Here's another signal from a friend. Yeah, so what? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I, it was my final awareness that was like, I can't do this. At my spouse, actually, I, I truly sat down one day on the stairs and just broke down and cried. And oh, no. that was the moment where it was like, it's okay to ask for help, I think. Um, and that was pivotal. And I, and I think... Yeah. Just like, you know, I keep bringing up the men in the room, but it, it just takes a little courage to say, we're better together and I need you. And for people to say, you know what, we love that and we're right here and we'll do it. 
and we'll, we we want to be part of this too. Well, that's interesting. So, so it the, sounds like yeah. Please keep going, Diana. I'm sorry. I'm so wow. <laughs> it sounds like there there's such a deep belief. Like yeah, I, I I am not allowed to ask for help. I need to be strong. I I need to yeah take care of it, be in charge of it, and so on. But what would you say? Where where did it come from? Yeah. I think I just started to become more authentic. I mean, back to the to the theater analogy, I, I started to feel comfortable taking the mask off and not trying to be and fit in um, with what I thought was right. It was more of how I felt inside. And um, that was a pivotal point because things started to get a lot better. Um, mm. Starting to working with others and co-creating and, and seeing um, the team doing things and and. I just, um, I grew up a lot, you know, I, I learned how to become more of a coach instead of the sort of the achiever leader. I was, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm catalyst at this point. It's a work in progress forever, but I mean, the catalyst concept includes things like, you know, coaching and experimenting and learning and collaborating and, you know, people are really assets. People are really super valuable. Um, mm. so Yeah, sounds mm. like a big relief. Mm. And I'm I just putting Absolutely. myself into the shoes. <laughs> I just putting my I just putting myself in the shoe of your on the shoes of your team in this moment when you came to this I don't know this conclusion and to share with your team that you need probably as one understood. I need your help. I cannot do it alone. What what was going on on the other side in terms of how they felt? What changed for them? Um, uh, you know, I think it's two things that happened. I think one was. Uh, we liked each other and they wanted to help and they didn't want to see me break down. So I think there was a bit of like, yes, we're here. But I think there was also some fear uh, because I started to become, it, it wasn't about me, it was about us. And so the accountability started to shift to all of us. And that's scary because I think it's easy for people to show up and say, well, my boss decides what we're going to do and we just execute and implement. And in this case, it was more of a, um, no, so we need to figure out what to do. And that that's some transition. I think, you know, some of the people in the room, the, the situation I'm thinking about was um, quiet. <laughs> First of all, it's like, holy shit, who's Karen? Like, this is a new thing. And our boss is kind of having a moment here and we care about her, so we want to help. But the flip side is, what does this mean to me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so for them, if, if I was in their shoes, I think they were a little bit like, ah, Now what am I going to be doing? Like how how do I do this? You know, which which gave me a great opportunity to turn it around and say, you know what, I could be a better coach than than maybe a doer, and I can teach you, and we can do this together, and we'll model the way and walk beside you. You know, and they all boats rise, and so now they're getting a little more confidence and courage, and they're growing and they're learning how to to lead themselves. You know. And that's super rewarding, um, hmm. but it's scary well, for everybody. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. So what I hear as well is um, maybe it's an assumption, but also what I what I hear is it it changed a little bit your your perspective of what is rewarding. Before it seemed to be rewarding that you have achieved, you have solved, you have decided, you made the difference, and that gave you some to a certain point at least in your career some rewards. But suddenly, this reward system didn't work anymore. It brought you to the to the end of this this journey, and suddenly, it is is say, okay, what is my new reward here? 
if the old reward system doesn't work anymore, but now it's time to figure out the new reward system, which makes me happy and gives me energy and, but maybe differently. Was it, was it a moment? Was it a phase? Was it a, a journey where you found this out, how the new reward worked? Or was it automatically there because you said, well, that is actually relieving and that's much better? Um, I think it was a, it, you know, it was a feeling. I, I think the way our brain works is you feel first and then you behave. And um, I was feeling, you know, I was feeling connected and um, I liked that. And I felt like we were together and I liked that. And I know that they were scared and I was too. And I liked that. So I don't know. It was like some epiphany where I just woke up and was like, wow, that was it. There is where I changed. And it was like, <laughs> it wasn't, well, I wasn't that obvious, at least to me. I wasn't that smart about it. Um, but it was how I felt. And now, you know, it's this reflection of looking back over time and saying, oh, yeah. That is when it kind of pivoted. That's that's when I started to, and again, I had to be sort of broken. And sadly, like, I hate this, but for a lot of us as humans, like, you know, someone dies or someone gets cancer or some traumatic thing happens and then all of a sudden we wake up, you know? It's like, oh my God, life's important and it's short and I got to do something. Um, and sadly, it was a little like that for me too. I was just finally like, I'm gonna die i'm gonna have a breakdown if i don't do this different um, but i'm very thankful for that because today uh, i wouldn't say it's perfect but it's definitely better and, and i truly really love to see people grow and um to be part of that you know and walk along beside i, I say that a lot but that's a big metaphor for me because it's how i feel and What would you share with our listeners who are maybe at the beginning of the journey, right? We have, you know, we have listeners who are um, young team leaders, just became a team leader or middle managers or, you know, the different different stages on the journey in different ages. And maybe not at that point yet that they feel like, oh, my God, I'm falling in pieces here every minute. How would you say what to be aware of, how to do the first step, that you don't need to go through this massive roller coaster of your life, or maybe it needs the roller coaster to wake up, I'm not sure. So um, you coach people now, you coach leaders, and maybe not all of them are in this critical situation. So what would you give as a guidance? Where, where does it start? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and I don't think, I mean, my hope is that, that my experience um I can share and that others maybe don't have to get to that point. And it, this bias that we have in companies to have a hierarchy and, you know, to move up and to kind of be, be the hero <laughs> in the middle of it all. It's like, my hope is people don't have to go through that. And, and I do think kind of the awareness of a situation and what's needed is what I would encourage people to try to think about. Cause I wouldn't say an expert, like a person that has good skills is bad. It's this expert mindset of like, hey, I have to do it all and I'm better than everybody. Or even the achiever mindset, which is more of this delegator and in the, in the middle of it all. It's like sometimes you need to do that, but um, to be intentional about it, to show up in a way that is able to say, here's what I understand about the situation and here's what I think we need to do. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it's basically like being aware enough and, and, and open enough to say, hey, we've got a really short timeline. 
and uh, we have to get this done. So I'm going to ask people to take their roles and get the thing done in a short period of time. Would that be okay? Right. It's like people at least are on board. They may not love it, but they're, it's intentional and it's, it's clear, clear as kind Mm. as a leader. Mm. And, and then maybe it it is the catalyst leadership, which I would say is more of a, a, a coaching role and more of a collaborative and a, an experimental role, but it depends on the situation. You know, if we have a fire like happening, Mm. I I don't want you to come in and do an experiment on figuring out how to put the fire out. (laughs) You know, it's like, just go into expert role and like get that done, but be upfront. So I guess what I would share to, to those early leaders and and managers is to try to be aware and, and be able to sort of reflect on here's where we are. And it's okay to ask for help. You don't have to know it all because no one does. And we're better together. Um, So recognize to the best of your ability what's needed in a situation and then be intentional about it. So that's what I would would suggest. That is interesting. Saying Mm -hmm. first step is awareness. Awareness of how you show up. And I relate this to my own experience. When When I started my journey of transition, there was... A coach of mine was saying, the only thing you you need to do next for the next two weeks is before you go in a meeting with your team, or does not even with your team in any meeting, make a little note and be aware what is your role you are in this moment. So is your role the decider? Is your role a part of brainstorming and ideas? Do you have already a decision in your mind? So be aware of what's going on inside you. How are you turning up? Are you know already what, what happens next and you have decided about it already? Or are you really going open-minded into it? You want to listen to others about it. And that was a, so shocking for me how often I went into meetings where I said, I know already what 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 we do, what the outcome will be and what I will decide. So, and, <laughs> That's and, a great start. And, you know, you know, you know, this is this kind of awareness. Probably say, yeah, just just be be intentional and be aware. You can have decisions. You can you know you can know what what the answer is, and you can be in the expertise and all that stuff. But be aware of it. And I, in this time, I was flying on autopilot. I had not even an idea I was doing it. And and Karen, would you say that as a woman, there are some more roles that pop up? Do you need to be even more aware of how you show up or how you are seen by people? Um, I don't know if it's more, but I, I do think that women have a little bit of an additional challenge. If you have a brain, you have a bias, you know, like every one of us grew up in a country, in a city, in a religion, uh, in a gender. And, you know, we, we learn how to behave. We're not instinctual like animals. So I think the thing for women, it's funny because I also teach a women in leadership class, is really about being authentic in your own way and being able to share intentionally what you need. And um, that doesn't make you bossy. It doesn't make you bitchy. It just makes you you and lean into that. And I I think that takes some courage because women... How do I say this? Um, there's there's this concept of gender biased and it's just there by default and people don't know. Like a, a lot of countries, a lot of places like women take care of the home, take care of the kids um, and the man goes to work. Well, now we're in the middle of this pandemic and remote work is the thing and people are at home. And I'm like, is that still happening? Like are, are there, is a woman trying to work plus take care of the kids plus make dinner? It's like awareness is like, how do you ask for help? And how do you be able to start looking at those things and saying, this isn't realistic. Like I cannot play this role um, without some help. So I don't know if that's perfect answer to your question about women, but um, I think it's hard. 
So when there's a woman entering a room, it can be a leader, it can be a non-leader, it doesn't matter. And I feel like this 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 person, this woman, is is try to you know play a role, which is you know the the, the toughness, the um, you know the, the the directive, this this kind of you know basically as you said, I want to fit in this man's world, so I try to have these attributes like a man. So I'm I'm displaying this. That is actually created an absolutely adverse reaction in me. That goes like there's no need to do this, and suddenly you know even I feel competition, and I get this feeling of go away. And I have the opposite reaction. If a person, just a woman, comes into a room and it's just being herself. And I feel like, yeah, I can be myself now. And now we can have a normal conversation. I don't feel maybe even threatened. I don't know. I feel like, okay, let's let's go on the subject. Let's be together. Let's enjoy. And I feel, and I sense often that females can bring so positive atmosphere in the room, so much balancing in the room, so much relaxation in the room um, between men and between the atmosphere just being being themselves and create such a positive impact but as soon as i feel that try to be something somebody who they're not are it gets tense for me and uh, maybe you can help me a little bit with this maybe it's just me i'm not sure but (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) you know i i don't think it's just you um one of the classes one of the workshops that i teach through the agile leadership journey community is called women in agile leadership And let me do a little exercise with you. So draw on a piece of paper, like a circle, write the word female above it, and then draw another circle next to it and write the word leader above it. And so one of the exercises is write down all the characteristics of a female. And so typically the things you see are empathetic, uh, loving, warm, uh, accommodative, caring, uh, caring, right? You know, caretaker, all of those things. Um, And then in the leader side, you get things like bold and um, focused and assertive and strategic. So, So you look at the two circles and they don't connect, right? So if I show up in the room and I want to be seen as a woman and female, I have these characteristics that I should portray. If I want to be seen as a leader, then I need to be bold and I need to be direct and I need to sort of have these other characteristics that tend to be what I would I would say more male. Right. So in your situation, Alex, I think a lot of women, including me, right, in the past would say, I want to be a leader. Yes, I'm a female. There's nothing I can do about that. Like I was born a woman um, and I love being a woman, but I want to be a leader. So I don't know how to balance these things. I think the other thing that's that's interesting, too, to talk about this from a male standpoint is to draw yet a third circle and write the word male and write the characteristics of, of a good man. And um, they are pretty parallel to the leader. Yeah. And strong, so the other having thing solutions, man, man. decision taking, yeah, la, yeah, la, la, exactly. logic. So if a man shows up with those female characteristics, if he cries or if he's gentle and he's seen as you know sort of the caretaker people label him and it's such is so sad because i mean go back to when when we were little tiny even you know we have a tendency to give little boys a, a truck and a hammer and things that are, are a little more uh sort of aggressive and we give girls like the pink stuffed animal kind of thing and you know, little boys and little girls grow up to be men and women, and that's still in us. And so I think that bias is is part of what we need to kind of break open, crack open, and start looking at, like, 
how do we stop this sort of labeling thing and this bias, or at least be aware and have the courage to say, it's okay, right? I'm going to show up and I'm going to be authentic and I'm not going to be the last to speak. And I'm, I might sit at the head of the table as a woman and that's okay. You know, it's like, I, I might be the first to speak um, or I might have to interrupt. And that doesn't make me bold or bitchy. That means that I want to speak and I want to be part of this dialogue. And the man that says, you know, I'm accommodative and that doesn't make me weak. And guess what? I want to be vulnerable. And, and what, who cares if I cry? Good, good for him for being able to be authentic. So my hope is that that helps a little bit as far as thinking about your situation, Alex, where it's like, you know, the woman tends to show up and maybe be overly assertive and she turns you off. I get that. But that's probably a bias where she's trying to fit in and try to be a leader. So how can we make that better? How can we be aware and how can we help each other be who we really are and, and that make that safe and okay? The thing what happens automatically in my head, you know, I have these three, four bubbles now here on my piece of paper, you know, the, uh, the bubble with the <laughs> yeah. female over it, the bubble with the male over it and the bubble with the, with the male slash soft male, you know, uh, and the leader. And what comes to my mind is, I think we need to redefine the attributes of a leader. There's so much more to a successful leader than this, what we just said. And, you know, all the attributes which we were missing or not connecting to that is actually the missing part to make it really successful, as you said. Be vulnerable, sharing your worries, sharing what you're fearful about, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it needs more different labels, different description of a leader of the future, which can integrate all of this. And Karen, referring to that, when you were in this high position as a, as a president of that company and you learned to be more yourself, did you have the chance to also change the culture of that company because you, you were in the top management and this would have been a great chance to to maybe um, switch this leadership style within the company. Have you tried that or I would be interested in that? Yeah, I think what you're bringing up is the culture of a company is really, if you hold a mirror up, um, it, it, it mirrors the leadership of the company. Mm -hmm. So you, you as the leader model the way for what, what is okay. And so, yes, I think that, It does change the culture. The intent was to just be authentic. And so the culture, I think, in that company, you know, started to sort of change a little. It was not about everywhere, every place, all the time, getting everything done. It was more about how do we figure out what the priorities are? And we're all sort of accountable. And that started to become more of the culture. Mm -hmm. So culture mirrors the leadership. And so your question is spot on. And I think... It takes time. I, I mean, we have a negative bias. You know, it's like it's it's not actually a, a trend or a pattern until it's happened for a long period of time. Like I, I can show up and be like, ask for help and, and be this leader that's now vulnerable. But if I don't do that every day as a part of my craft and my leadership, people will question if that was a flash in the pan or if that was just a some day where I was on one knee and I couldn't handle it. It's like, you have to do it every day. You have to show mm -hmm. up and be authentic and model the way every day for the culture to start to change. And therefore, it would be so great to have more diverse leadership teams and more women in leadership positions. But obviously, it is such a big bias that it's so difficult for, for women to, to get into these positions, right? So 
you would have a more authentic leadership style on the top of companies, it would be more natural or easier to create such a culture. Yeah, I mean, and, and women and, and people of different diversities, different gender, different color, different race, all of that is all part yeah. of, I think, what makes it great. Because you can have one woman, and that is what I would call tokenism. I don't think that's enough, mm. you know, mm. or one black person or one Indian person or whatever. And I, I hate to be like, oh, the white male is bad. That's not true either. It's mm -hmm. just we just want diversity of thought and embracing different ways of, of showing up and being authentic and, and having that be the baseline for where we begin working together and, and developing solutions together versus being threatened, you know, because it's different. And that's pretty normal for humans, too, is that if you're not like me, then I'm uncomfortable because I don't know how to connect and relate to you. And maybe you're a threat to me. To bring this down, it needs yeah. the experience of there's nothing threatening about it. But this experience needs to happen. First. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, this opens a completely new can of you know worms um, because... I was just thinking when you said this is I, I've seen often that there is this kind of, oh, yeah, we we will do agile leadership now. We will do this integrated leadership. We will do coaching leadership. We, you know, and and then there is this management team saying, okay, you you middle management leaders, you are leading different now. And this is what we expect from you. And I always smile because, you know, the middle management is looking back and look at them and say, okay, show me. You're not able to do that. So why should I do that? And mm -hmm. So this gives me chills to hear you say that because it's so right it is <laughs> from so my perspective. It's natural. If somebody is saying how we should behave or what we should do or we should change, we're looking back to the other person and say, okay, I understand. It's good. I like it. But please show me you are part of the journey and not I'm alone on that journey. Yeah. Walk the talk, right? So, um, but this Amen, is a completely brother. different episode. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> So last question from my side, Karen, um, referring back to our nice picture of the theater. So when you think of a more agile way of working and having self-organized, diverse teams, what, what are the characters on stage? <laughs> what would you say? Um, you know, I, I don't know if they're characters. For me, it's it's safety. It's psychological safety. It's the starting with you're valued as a human, who you are and how you show up regardless of gender, nationality, all of that. And that's that's the baseline for psychological safety. Um, and then you move up and, and this is actually a guy named um, Tim Clark has this book called Four Stages of Psychological Safety. And I love it because um, inclusion safety is the first thing. And I think it relates to what we're talking about. And then the next step is when I feel included as a human for who I am authentically, then I'm safe to learn. Um, and then I'm safe to try things because it's awkward and uncomfortable. And especially as adults, we don't want to feel stupid. So if I feel like I'm accepted, like this is the beginning of agility, right? And then it's like, once I can learn, then I move into what you call contributor safety. So not only have I learned, now I want to add back. And then the first fourth stage is what we call challenger safety. And that's where you feel comfortable to show up who you are, as you are, and to challenge the status quo, which is where innovation starts to happen. And I think this is really core to feeling like agile teams have to have this inclusion and learning and contributing, and then we can challenge. And then things are happening then. Then then we're at a state where it's like we're innovating and, and we're, we're actually doing things that are different than what we've done in the past. So that's, mm -hmm. from my perspective, that's where we're going. That's the future of agility. That's the future of 
global leaders on our planet. So maybe a little bit like impro theater, where everyone can can be at stage and be the person he or she is naturally. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good connection to, and and you, you don't really know what's at the next act in the play, um, but you're able to adapt and you know that you're okay who you are and you're able to kind of plus one with each other as somebody goes through their improv. The other person says, oh, I see that. I'm going to connect to that and I'm going to add to that and I'm going to contribute. Mm. Um, so yeah, I like that. Nice, Makes it. Nice. I mean that sounds that sounds wonderful. You know, I'm a little bit devil's advocate here. What makes it so hard in the organization to create this psychological safety? Mm -hmm. I think the human human thing is that we anybody that's different than we are is a threat. So again, humans have learned over the years to fight, flight, or freeze, right? And we are creatures of basically we learned it from somebody else because we're not animals and we, we don't have an instinct. So if you're different than me and my pack, do I need to fight you? Do I need to freeze or do I need to get out of here? And I think that still exists in our, in our world today, right? So inclusion is if you're different than me, I have to be able to step back and use my super powerful brain to say that's okay. And not to just go into the default behavior of I need you to be like me in order for me to like you and for you to fit in. I think so, that's why it's hard, Alex. Um, I think it's a good time to yeah reflect a little bit where we are in our discussion, but also what are your takeaways, our aha moments, our gold nuggles we, we have from our conversation so far? There are so many. Yeah. <laughs> It was really wonderful. And I, again, I learned so much from you, Karen. Thank you so much for that. And I, I really loved this sentence uh, that, that we can teach others mm. how yes. to treat ourselves and that we need to make it explicit how we want to be treated. And we can do that in a very nice way. <laughs> yeah. So just speaking up for, for oneself uh, without being pushy or bitchy or whatsoever so it can be just a simple question that can change so much so i like that very very much and uh, i also uh, if i may quote you uh, the sentence clear is kind as a leader um, so i think uh, this is also a good good message to be honest and, and direct and this is so much kinder than artificial harmony or, or yeah i like that as well that's a also Brene this brown <laughs> i gotta give Brene her brown credit quote. yeah yeah so <laughs> just this to be i mean i love it too so i obviously said it but i just want to give her the credit she's she's the clearest yeah. kind person yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay good to know yeah and of course i i loved your your exercise uh, it, it made things so clear and maybe this helps some some women out there to ask others to do this little task to to get a little bit more insight in this topic and well this is the difficult part of unconscious bias it is unconscious and maybe we can make it a little bit more consciously with this little task so i love that very much just to, to mention a few highlights there were, were a lot of more but this is what uh yeah just sticked in my head right now mm, so for me my highlight you said beside what you said uh, um, this is was i had on my, had on my list as well um 
but one of my highlights was to recognize that doing this first step into the space of vulnerability, maybe asking for help, sharing um, that I don't want to have this all on my own shoulder. I need your support. I need your help. I'm not feeling well. It's a brave step. It can feel like a massive hurdle, like a massive weakness, but it's so rewarding and it needs bravery um, to overcome this hurdle to get this reward. And and also be the, um, be the, it sounds a bit, you know, I don't want to say that because often used, but be the leader of change. But this is, this means you need to do it day to day. Don't, don't make it just a, this, this one day thing. So it's something, if you want to change your culture, if you want to make a difference for your organization, and then it's something you need to lead from the top. You need to show up every day as a, as a leader, as a management team to be the example of it. And this is what you have done in, in your organization at that time. You, you, you change this, you change the way every day you came to work differently. And that made a certain impact. What I'm taking away is, so if you start to change as a leader, it will have an impact on the whole organization. It can have an impact on the whole organization. So don't underestimate if you start to show up differently, coming back to the teaching and get the reactions. You will find different reactions because you show up differently. And that is really hopeful. And uh, it's wonderful. Thank you. Karen, Thank you. do you also have any takeaways from what you just said? Were there also some aha moments from your side, reflecting all that? Um, boy, I, I, I think it's been wonderful. Thank you both for inviting me. And uh, the questions are, I think, fun for me to kind of, I relive it in the moment. So um, it gets me thinking about, you know, how can I continue to share, you know, what we've talked about today in my coaching and my facilitation through our agile leadership journey. And um, yeah, modeling the way is key, what Alex just said. And, and I think it, it's not, you're not done. Like you don't, it's, you don't arrive. It's not a checkbox. It's, I don't show up and now I'm some big, perfect catalyst leader. It's like, It's like a relationship with your spouse. Like we got to work with that every day and, <laughs> and that's part of it. So, um, yeah, I just thank you both very much for, for the dialogue. I truly enjoyed it. So for now, Karen, have a nice weekend. Um, enjoy your time. Thanks for, for sharing your story and, um, yeah, bye-bye. Bye. -bye.